to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Turn to 2 Corinthians. We're up to the third chapter. We're going to look at the verse six, first six verses titled, A Living Letter. As you may remember last week, Paul is defending himself or stating his qualifications as an apostle, and he continues to do so today. He's not a peddler of God's word, but he's a man of sincerity, commissioned by God. In the sight of God, he speaks Christ. This week we continue on in chapter 3, as Paul continues to answer the charge that he's not qualified or a competent minister of God due to his sufferings. Remember, there had been some that had found their way into the Corinthian church. The church, by the way, he started, the one that he poured his life into. He's the one who nurtured and led the beginnings of that church. And now after several years, some people have crept in, and they have kind of created a a disenchantment among the church with Paul. As they look at him and his sufferings, they look at his writings, and others trying to uplift themselves, tear Paul down. And Paul goes to to visit uh, Corinthians, and there's a, uh, a terrible exchange between him and the church that's led by this group. Paul leaves Corinth in a hurry, and he writes back, as we call a severe letter, to that church, uh, uh, or disciplining them for what they do. We do not have that letter. It would be nice in some ways, but God in his wisdom has not uh, preserved that letter for us. So what we get of that letter is trying to build back as we read Paul's answers. So in here, Paul now is saying, here's why I wrote this letter. It is sent by Titus. We saw that his heart is still kind of heavy, and he's writing now in this fourth letter to them after the severe. He's saying, this was the state of my mind while I was waiting to hear word whether or not you've truly repented of your misdeeds. So Paul now is writing here, and he's going to give two points. And if you'd like to take uh, uh, notes, there is a place in the back of your bulletins. But we're going to look at Two main points here as Paul's trying to share in this passage. And Father, I ask that you would just give me a a clarity of mind. I pray that you would still my tongue to speak effectively and uh, with words that uh, lift you up. Lord, let let me not speak my own wisdom, but I pray that you would fill up in the hearts of those what they need to hear this morning. It may do the work that you've... uh, pronounced it to do so. In your name we pray. Amen. So Paul continues to answer the charge that he's not qualified. Again, this is where we find ourselves and we're continuing here. And I want to go to the first of the two points. The first point is we're going to see in the first three verses where the Corinthians' life or the Corinthians' changed life is a validation of Paul's ministry. Paul is saying, listen, there's something you need to do is that your changed life is a validation of my ministry. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul begins by writing, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Now you might see here as Paul is asking a question, and he's asking, do we need letters of recommendation? Letters were a normal way of introducing Christians to one another as they traveled to and fro. We kind of saw that this week there's many times that uh, when missionaries will call the church, and I always feel bad for the ones that just kind of cold cold. Call, uh, cold call churches. They're looking for support. They're going to different places. Well, we uh, received a call and from one from um, that's going to Ireland. And one of the things he says, "Here's my letter of recommendation." I said, "You know, where are you from? Who are you? Who's your sending church?" And he brings a letter of recommendation. And what that does is it kind of introduces. It says, "Here is someone I would like you to know." And Paul is asking, "Is that something that we need?" And so in this case, Paul is bringing back, especially in an age in which there's no telephones, no telegraph, no Facebook or Twitter, they're bringing letters of recommendation. That's what we're seeing here. And Paul is essentially asking here in this first part, is he saying, is our relationship, has our relationship deteriorated to the point, is it so bad that you now need letters of recommendation? Do you need someone to write to you and say, hey, Paul is okay, listen to him? Has our relationship gotten that bad? And that's where Paul is stating here. He's crying out his heart. Do we need these letters of recommendation? Don't you know us? Aren't you impressed on our hearts? Don't you see my ministry? But yet Paul is pointing out here, you're acting as if I'm a complete stranger. You're acting as if you and I do not have a relationship. Have you ever have that? I've had that before where as a pastor, where you spend your lives pouring into someone, you help them through some, through tough times, difficult times, you listen to them, you counsel, you pray with them, but there are times some time in their life where all of a sudden one mistake or one word or something of that nature and all of a sudden a relationship seems to be destroyed. You ever have that? You don't have to raise your hands. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And it seems like all the, you know, and all of a sudden this one issue, this one problem comes so big, they forget all of the goodwill and all of the work and all of the the pouring of your soul that you did here. Have you ever had that happen to you? You shake your heads or nod your head. You know what I'm talking about? It seems like that happens in everyone's life. Isn't that what happens in a married couple's life? And all of a sudden they just have one big blow up and you forget all the years before all the good times. We do that so easily. And you can almost imagine that's what's coming here. Paul is saying, am I a stranger to you? Do you truly need letters for me? What he's saying here, the Corinthians are Paul's proof of God's hand on his ministry. Paul is saying, do you want to know if God is truly on my, has his hand on my ministry? Do you want to truly know if I'm apostleship? You, you are my proof. You're the one who shows that God's hand is on my ministry. He says, you're impressed on my heart and my mind. I'm your father. The interesting and the ironic thing here is that the Corinthians cannot truly question Paul's legitimacy without bringing into question their own. Do you get that? By questioning his legitimacy, they in effect actually question their own. In other words, who's their father in Christ? Paul is. Who's the one that introduced him to the scripture? 
Paul was? Who was the one that, that showed them the power of the Spirit? It was through Paul's ministry. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? In the earlier letter, he says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If I to others am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He wrote that to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In other words, Paul says, what are you doing? Do you forget so easily who you and I are? Do you forget our relationship? In fact, do you forget the debt you truly owe me? Though he may not be saying that, that's how many of us have to think. How many times have we struggled with our children, and our children seem to rebel against And You're thinking, wait a second, I've raised you from life. I've given you life. I've given you all. You have a debt, and you so easily want to forget it because of a problem or an issue. Paul's saying, have you so easily forgotten who we are. Paul is reminding them that you yourself are my validation. And I have to tell you, let me take this off. You know, I've been looking at, as I've been reading 2 Corinthians, I've actually been surprised of how much. Now, we know that this is a letter from an elder to a church. Now, let's not forget, and this happens many times when we read the Bible, as we forget that the people of the church of Corinth were real people. They were real people with real problems, with real joys, there were children, there were adults, there was the elderly, there were people who were struggling with problems, but there were people who were spiritually mature. And you and I sometimes can forget that over time and distance and of reading things, but these are real people. And I can imagine as Paul wrote this, those were the people that were coming into his mind and his heart as he was writing this letter. But what's impressed me as I've read through this is that I, you know, I know that you say, well, this is to the church. I can't tell you how surprised and blessed I've been as a pastor reading this, as I see, you know what, Rob, maybe this has a lot to say to pastors and elders and leaders also. For as such as, as, we're, as we're critiquing the Corinthians, I can see Paul come and say, and say, wait a second, it's not about me. My validation does not come through these things, but it comes in the fact that the Spirit works. There are many times as I struggle and I say, you know, and this happens to any pastor, whether you're a, a church, a pastor of a small church or pastor of a large church. You wonder how effective you are. You wonder, is God working in your ministry? Is God doing what he should be doing? And when it really comes down to it, in the fact that it doesn't come through numbers, because there are churches that have that 10, 15, 20,000. One of the largest churches in America is 20,000, but I would never encourage you to go to the church. I wouldn't encourage you to buy the man's books. The gospel is absent from it. It doesn't come in monies. It doesn't come in programs. It doesn't come in all the things that many times that we hold dear, but it comes in the fact is when you see a life changed. And as Dawn and I are getting ready to celebrate seven years here next year, next, next week, next Sunday, I can't believe it's going to be completion of seven years. And there's always those retrospectives, right? Have I made a difference? Don't we all ask that? Don't we all want to know that? Do I make a difference? And I'll have to tell you, there are times in my office during the week that I struggle with that. Do I make a difference? Have I made a difference? But yet I have to tell is I'm encouraged as I read through this, is the encouragement doesn't come from all the external things, but it comes down when we sit down and we talk. 
It comes when we sit down and you say, Pastor, how you doing? I'm praying for you. And there's a hug. There's a time when someone comes and shares a word of testimony. That's why I love to hear testimonies. Is lives being transformed? That's the power. And just as Paul says, listen, your changed life is a validation of my ministry. The same way I have to be encouraged and say, your changed life is a validation of what God is doing here at OVBC. That's what we ought to be praying for. It's not better buildings, bigger buildings, better parking lots, more programs. All those things have their purpose and are good for certain things. But in the end, are we transforming our lives? When you hear the word of God, does it start to make a change in your heart? Do you have a desire? Do you love God more? Are you seeking him more? The Greek word used for letter, Paul says, you are my letter of recommendation. The Greek word here used for letter here means it's a written message. It's like an epistle. You've heard the epistle of James, the epistle of, of Philippi. It's a letter. It's a written message. In other words, he's saying you are a written message that other people can see and read. Just as if you were open a book and you would read it, he says, your lives are like an open book. I can read you. I can see what God is doing here. I can see where God is moving. And that's one of the things that you and I have to see, is our lives are an open book, whether we try to close it very tight so no one reads, or we're those people who live our, you know, with our emotions on our sleeves. Our lives are written validation, letters of what God is doing in our life. There's four characteristics of this living letter as we see in this passage. We're speaking of the Corinthians. This letter is from Christ. There's a divine author. It's Christ who is writing this letter into the hearts. The letter is related to Paul's ministry as the founder of the church. The letter was inscribed by the Spirit of the living God. And the letter was inscribed not on stone, but on the heart. And this is where we come important, where we need to kind of look and see what Paul is saying here. Because you and I think stone, what in the world? They were using parchments at those times. They were using different type of scrolls and other type of writing. Why are we talking about stone? Is he talking about like cavemen? Talking about like taking a, uh, you know, a hammer and a nail and, a, and just describing something in here? But as we listen to this, those of us who know Scripture come back and we understand that what he's talking about here is the tablets of the law. And this is a fulfillment of the prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah, or of Jeremiah, excuse me, where the letter now is not inscribed on stone, but the written message now is implanted into a heart that is made receptive by the Spirit. Hence what he says. You show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of a living God, not on tablets of stone, but on a human hearts. I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to Ezekiel very quickly for me. 11, 19, 20. Ezekiel chapter 11. And I want to take our time, just make sure as we're getting this, Paul is saying that your changed life is validation of my ministry. Why? Because you are a letter that can be read not only by me, but by others. And that letter was delivered by Christ, it was written by the Spirit, and it was impressed on, on human hearts. In Ezekiel 11, verse 19, 
This is important because all of a sudden, Paul is giving an imagery and pointing back to something greater than what they thought. Where Ezekiel is writing through the Holy Spirit, God says through Isaiah, or Ezekiel, excuse me, I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. In Jeremiah 31:33, the prophet, God speaking to him, says very much the same thing. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it, on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In other words, Paul is saying here, something new and tremendous has happened to you, and your changed life is validation of what God has been doing through me. You see, validation needs to come from God, and you and I need to understand that. There are many people today that are trying to get validated from many different things but not from God. They're trying their good works. They're trying to work their way to heaven. They're trying to make themselves right from God. But in each instance, God says, no, not enough. Who does your validation comes from? For Paul, Paul wasn't saying, well, I need your kudos. I need you to accept me. No, for Paul, his validation comes from God. And God's validation comes through the Spirit, as he impresses ours. Do you want to know if you're truly one of God's children? That validation comes not in your good works, not in your heritage, not in who your grandmother was, not in which you went to church, not whether you give money, but whether or not the Spirit has been implanted in your heart. And that's where I want to take a moment. I want to just do a little paragraph here. As we see that their, their, your changed life is a validation, is Paul is saying, you have a new heart. And I want to ask the question, what does it mean by a new heart? What does that mean to have a new heart? I thought we all had fleshly hearts. Well, it's not so much talking about the human organ here. It's not talking about whether your heart is made out of muscle or whether it's made out of stone. But he's talking about something different. It's talking about a term that many of you have heard, and many times it's used in a negative way, and that's that term, born again. You've heard that term. Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan to many others. We're all born again. But that born again is a term that just means regeneration. And that's a new beginning. Wayne Grumman says regeneration is the secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life into us. You see, you and I need a new spiritual life. First Peter tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Hence that term, born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, what he's saying here is that you and I need to be born again. Why? Because you and I, in actuality, are truly dead. We're dead in our trespasses. We're dead in our sins. Paul is telling the Corinthians, you need to realize this. Your changed life shows that your life is different. It shows that God's hand and work is upon me. The results of regeneration are very simple, and I'm going to go through them very quickly. When you and I are born again, when God does that work on us, when the Spirit comes and writes on our hearts, gives us a new heart, we're inwardly cleansed and renewed. 
he tells us in Titus 3, 3-6, that once we were foolish and disobedient, once we were led astray in slaves to our various passions and pleasures, and we were passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of a God of our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Again, let me tell you, if you're trying to work your way to heaven, it will not work. You will fail, and you will fail miserably. But it's according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There you see again, the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of His people whom he poured on us richly through Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, you Corinthians, you have been inwardly cleansed and renewed. And those who read you as a written letter should be able to see that your life is different. And that's the second point we see of the effect of regeneration. When God causes us to be born again, we receive a new kind of life. He's going to, we're going to see that in a couple chapters where he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I can almost imagine as Paul is reliving the events that caused to believe Corinth in such a rush. And as he prayfully writes this letter to the Corinthians, this severe letter asking for their repentance, He's saying, what is going through your mind? You're a new creation. You're a new creature. How you treated me should not happen. Amen? We're something new. There's something different. (coughs) The third thing that happens because of regeneration is that you and I are brought into a new relationship with God. He tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that's so important. As Paul is reminding him, it's important for us to realize is that regeneration, being having a new heart, is not something that you and I can do of ourselves. For he says, for you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. In other words, it's not something that you and I can attain, as we say, but it's of God. So let us remember that regeneration is a gift of God. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to see this. This is important. This passage is a passage you should highlight or underline or mark in some way. It would probably be good for you to go at least once a week to this passage and prayfully read it and meditate on it. But Ephesians chapter 2, it starts that you and I were dead in our trespasses. We were dead. We cannot, the dead cannot raise himself from the dead, cannot make himself alive. But he says in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He says, By grace you have been saved, and you've been raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And that it's not your own doing, is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So Paul is saying your lives, your changed life, is a validation of God's of my ministry. Why? Because you have a changed heart. Something different is about you. And as people read it, they ought to be able to say, there is something different about him. Their lives are an open book. You have a new heart in there. So the second point we're going to see in this passage is, number one, was the Corinthians' changed life is validation of Paul's ministry. If you question his legitimacy, you question your own. The second point from this passage we're going to see is Paul is insisting that prophecy is fulfilled in his ministry. Paul is insisting that prophecy is fulfilled in his ministry as we look at verses 4-6. through six. Paul is saying, what you see in Jeremiah and Ezekiel is being done today. Look at, look at, look at verse 4. For he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, using the words found in Jeremiah. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for this letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul's sufficiency is found as a minister of the new covenant that we found in Jeremiah 31, where he says that I will give a new covenant, and I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. The Spirit's work in his ministry justifies and explains Paul's confidence as an apostle. In other words, he is not going to let this relationship problem, he's not going to allow this rebellion of this church, the work of a few who are infecting many, he's not going to let it affect what God is doing in his life. Paul doesn't rest on his talents. He doesn't rest on his giftings. He doesn't relist even on his heritage, as he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I have confidence in my flesh, Paul says. If we want to talk about whether or not I'm qualified, in the flesh I am. He says, I, I have more. I was circumcised. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness and the law, he says, I'm blameless. But Paul says, all those things of my flesh, I count as loss. Why? Because Paul realized that there was a greater validation than our own personal heritage, our own personal talents and gifts. But Paul says, I am a fulfilling the prophecy that God has called us to. This passage brings the answer to questions 2.16, where he said, back last week, we said, who is sufficient? Paul now finally answers it completely in verse 6, where Paul says, we are. We are sufficient. Why? Because we're empowered by God. But not only him, the Corinthians themselves are also empowered by God. How? Because the Spirit has implanted in them a new heart. He says, not that we are sufficient, but God, our sufficiency comes from God, who's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And that's one of the things that we need to realize, is that even today, God has implanted new hearts into many of us. For all those that have submitted themselves, 
who repent of dead works of trying to earn their way to heaven, realize that the only way is by the grace of God, by trusting in the gracious works of Jesus Christ. He imparts into us a new life. And Paul says that work is being done 2,000 years ago. So much more today. Now as Paul says that you ought to realize that prophecy is fulfilled in my ministry. That ought to validate who I am. It ought to validate the work that I've done with you. It ought to validate the message that I've been giving you, the letters that I've been written you. You ought to understand the severe letter, as hurtful as it is, it is necessary, and I'm calling you to repentance because now you're able to because of the new heart that's planted to you. But he ends by saying the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's kind of an interesting phrase. And actually, that's a good sentence that's going to propel us next week as we finish off this chapter. The letter kills. In this case, the word letter, the Greek word for letter, is not the same as we saw earlier where he called the Corinthians a letter. When he said to the Corinthians, you are a letter, he was talking about a completed written message. In other words, I could look at your life and I could read what God's doing in your life. In this case, the Greek word for letter here is actually the word that means grammar. It actually means the actual lettering of the word, an L, an M, an N, an O, and a P. In other words, he's speaking really of the tablets here. It conveys the meaning of grammar, the actual writing on the stone, paper, etc. In this case, he's pointing to the stone tablets in which God himself wrote the law. In Exodus 31, we see this where he says, And God gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with them on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, and I love this phrase, written with the finger of God. So Paul is bringing up an imagine, you know, an image here, a word picture. And he's saying, imagine, he says, this is something greater than that. Then the letter kills, and he's saying, the letters, when God wrote the letter, thou shall not kill, thou shall not. He says it's greater than that. Now he says this thing here, but the letter kills. In other words, the letter only specifies God's demand and the punishment for failing to obey. And this is what he's saying here, and we're going to go into this and explore this a little bit more next week, so let me just whet your appetite as we go on. In other words, he says the letter only specifies the commandments of God, the Old Testament, the Torah, the the Ten Commandments. They only specify God's demand and the punishment for failing to obey. There's no really hope for life in there because the problem is with the law, with the tablets, the Ten Commandments, is that no one can obey the law fully. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. As Paul writes to another church concerning the same type of thing. Galatians chapter 3, that's in the New Testament. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. Paul writes, For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. So anyone who relies on doing the commandments, 
There was 10 commandments we think of, but I think there was a total of 613 as you go through here. He says, those who rely on obeying the works of the commandment are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, even if you were able to obey every one of those laws, it still would not make you right by God. That's a pretty strong statement. But he goes on to say in verse 12, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed of everyone who who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Once again, we see the Spirit is implanted on the hearts. He says the letter kills. If you try to live by the letter of the law you will find that it does not produce the life that you're looking for. It will not make you right with God. There is something greater. And Paul's saying, I'm a minister of that new covenant. That new covenant that was promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it is here today. I have the words of life. And the words of life is that Jesus became the curse for us. And he paid the penalty for our sin. All are cursed. You and I have to understand that. And the curse is only removed through Christ's atoning death. You need to understand that. And Paul is saying, listen here to the Corinthians, you need to realize that you are validation of my ministry. And not only are you the validation of my ministry, but I'm a minister of a new covenant. I have something greater than Moses had for you. Now that's going to jumpstart us into next week, but I want to bring you back what he's saying here. He's saying, you are a letter. And I ought to be able to read and see that you have a new heart. In other words, it ought to tell me that you're inwardly cleansed and you're renewed. It ought to show that you have a new life. It ought to show that you have a new relationship with God. As Paul is writing this, he's saying, what has happened to you at that church? You are not honoring God in the way that you're living. You're not honoring God in the way that you are worshiping. You were not honoring God in the way that you were using the spiritual gifts. You were not honoring God in the way that you were doing the Lord's Supper. You were bringing, you were allowing sin into the body, and you were even encouraging them and approving those that did so. You were allowing all sorts of things to happen that is wrong. In other words, your life is not living out what God has done through you. In other words, Paul is almost turning around and saying, listen, instead of questioning my legitimacy as a minister of God, you ought to be looking within. As we go on next week, we'll see a little bit more as Paul shows how the Word comes and changes their lives. But I want to take a moment and look at you and I today. Because the thing that you and I need to understand is that there ought to be an evidence of a changed life. What the Corinthians were not living out, they were not living out their salvation. 
And in it, it was causing relationship problems. It was causing conflict. And it was causing sin to be in the body of Christ. Last week, we saw how that sin of the Corinthian church caused Paul so much turmoil that he left an open missionary field and left it. Remember, an opportunity. God opened a door in Troas. He even healed a man who died there, if you go back in Acts. But Paul says, I had to leave because the conflict in Corinth was so bad, the sin was so bad that I found no peace, and I had to leave. And we saw that last week. So here's the question I have for you and the challenge. Is that there must be some evidence that you have a new heart. It is true that just as, 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 as you are a validation of God's work, and there's a new covenant, there's a new heart, you need to realize you need to be read in that way. When people read you, do they read the new heart? Or do they still read a heart that's made out of stone? Trying to live out your own goodness and your own righteousness. I want to give you three things very quickly. Here's some evidence of regeneration. Or in other words, if someone were to open up your letter and to read you, would they see this in there? Very quickly. The first one is we're going to turn from sin. As you and I turn from sin, First John says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seeds abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Let me ask, is your life marked... By sin, consistent, unrepentive sin or not. If it is, then you need to come back to the point and realize that maybe God's work has not been written on your heart. It's time to come to repent of that type of sin. For we're all under a curse. We're all under the wrath of God. Many of you times, I've said this phrase again, as before and I'll say it again is many of us go through life and we don't think about God. We don't think about any type of judgment. And even when we do, we say, well, if someone asks us, we say, well, no, I don't have a problem with God. And that may be true. But let me say this very clearly so you understand. God has a problem with you. God has a problem with you. The Bible says that we are children of disobedience. He says that we're rebellious children. And he says that is appointed unto man, what? Once to die, then after this, what? The judgment. It says that God is storing up his wrath, and it will be poured out. Once again, as Paul says, you and I are all under a curse. And what you and I try to do is we try to do what we do when we get in trouble with someone else. We try to appease them, right? We disobey, you know, we make problem at work or at home. We do things to try to get back in their favor. And so what we do to try to get back in favor with God is, well, we'll try to do good works, right? We'll go to church. We'll we'll do different types of things and many types of denominations, religions, and everybody else tries to do different things to say, if you do this, you become a good person, and then God approves of you. But let me tell you, God says all of your righteousness are what? Filthy rags. All of your good works are still short of what it takes to please God. So what is your life marked with? Oh, I want to just implore you today. If you're here today and you're still trying to work your way into heaven, 
if you're trying to please God or you don't even give him a, a thought or you think things are okay, let me share with you, it's not. Today is the day of salvation. I implore you, repent of dead works and turn and trust in the works of Christ. And he's the one who became the penalty for us. And God's wrath is poured out on him and you and I receive the righteousness of Christ. Would you choose that today? Would you choose it? There's no prayer you need to do. There's no special words. There's no things that I can give you. Just choose Christ and then live it out. That's what Paul is calling, saying to the Corinthians. You said you chose Christ. Live it out. But your life is marked by living in sin. You need to turn from it. The second evidence, the second thing that people ought to see, that God ought to see, that we ought to see in our lives, is that you and I will have Christ-like love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves, listen to this, has been born of God, or been regenerated, has had that heart of stone taken out and a heart of flesh put in. The Corinthians were not loving Paul as God has called them to do. And Paul calls them the carpet. Let me ask, if we were to read your life, does love flow from its pages? If I were to touch it and read it and turn the pages, would it come back? Would I be able to get that love? Or do we see resentment, rebellion, selfishness, ingratitude, bitterness, grudges? What falls from your pages? And then the third one is we'll overcome the world. First John tells us, For this is the love of God, that we can keep his commandments. And the commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I mean, do you trust in him? That's what faith is. I'll use a better word, satisfied. Not a better word, but a definition. Are you satisfied in the things of God? The reason why you and I come overcome by sin and by, by the world is because you and I really are satisfied with it. We long for it. We desire it. But I want to encourage you, those that have had their hearts transplanted by the Spirit of God will desire and be satisfied with the promises of God. Yearn for it, pray for it, desire it. If we were to look in your, look in your life, would once again, will we see that you're satisfied with the promises of God? So the evidence of someone who's truly been born of God is they'll turn from sin, they'll fight it to their dying breath. Like what Paul says, you have not fought to the point of death. Are you ready to do bloody bloody uh, uh, battle with sin? Are you have Christ-like love, and will you overcome the world? As Paul was writing this letter, I don't know where he was. We don't know in what type of condition he wrote it, but we do know that his spirit was very troubled. He had to leave a thriving work to go find Titus because he says, "Where? How did they? How have they responded?" As Paul is writing this, you can almost imagine as he's saying, "Why have they left the God they chose? Do not do so. Live out the letter that God has written on your heart, Father. I pray that you impress in our minds, in our hearts, your Spirit." If there's anyone here this morning that has not chosen you, Lord, I pray that you would reach down and you would take that, that heart out and plant a new heart. May your word find uh, uh, good soil. 
May they respond to your goodness. Would they see their need of a Savior? Lord, I pray that they would choose you to this morning. And for those of us, Lord, that have, may our lives be reflected and may our letter be written and read in such a way that others see you. Help us to confess, Lord, when we do not. For there will be that struggle in this life, but I pray that we would be satisfied in you. May we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, praising you for who you are. We pray this in the name of your Son. God's people said, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.